Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today I have a special guest. Tom is the CEO of the Zig Ziglar Corporation, founded by his father, Zig Ziglar. Tom has written two books, Choose to Win and 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times, which came out in December of 2021. He travels the world on Zoom and sometimes on airplanes, giving speeches on leadership and achieving balanced success. Welcome to the podcast. Michael, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So tell us, you know, your father founded Ziegler, but there, is there anything in particular that inspired you to carry on his legacy and continue coaching others on keys to success and prosperity? Well, I tell you, uh, you know, my father had such a huge impact in the industry. He wrote the book, See You at the Top, which came mm-hmm. out in the early 70s. And that became an iconic book in personal development and success. And so I started in the business after I got out of college and just fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just kind of in my DNA, in my blood. And he's just one of the benefits to what I do is I can go anywhere in the world and there's there's family there because they've heard dad's message. Uh, Mm -hmm. So carrying that on is just it's just an awesome blessing. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, your dad was at a different generation. He spoke at a different generation, and we're obviously a different time period. But do his principles carry? Absolutely. And there's the there's a theme that he had, and he's he said this all the time in the '70s and '80s. He said that if standard of living is your goal, quality of life almost never goes up. Mm. But if quality of life is your goal, your standard of living almost always goes up. Mm. And of course, uh, the last two years with the pandemic, uh, I've done thousands of hours of research on how how business has changed, how people's priorities have changed. And now the number one issue in, in business is the health and well-being of their people. And they finally figured out that quality of life equals quality of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah. We've been teaching this for five decades, and now the world has figured out, wait a second, if I'm not healthy, if I don't have good relationships, if I'm, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't feel good about my purpose, my why, my calling in life, if, if these things are unsettled, then I'm not going to do very well on my job. And, mm-hmm. and that's how people are making choices now. They want to emphasize their, their quality of life. Well, I think we're seeing this when people went home to work and now they're trying to put them, pull them back to the offices. I mean, you've seen major, I mean, I think just recently one of the, uh, a big Apple executive quit because basically he didn't want to go back into the office. Um, yeah. I just, I just responded to an article that came out. Um, Apple called everybody back and said, if you're remote, you've got to move back in to headquarters. Mm. And there's this uh, letter sent back uh, with, from a lot of people. I don't know if they signed it or not. It's kind of anonymous, um, yeah. 
but they said, Hey, we're not coming back. And the guy you're talking about, he, I think he was head of machine learning, Mm -hmm. which, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's huge, (laughs) which if you're thinking of the future. And so basically what the number one brand in the world is saying is, gosh, we've got to do it the way we've always done it because it makes our leadership comfortable. But the people who are out there doing the work, they're saying, wait a second, my productivity and performance went up. My cost of living went down. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? You know, why not judge us on our, on our outcomes rather yeah. than where we live? And so what Apple's doing is they're seeding their competition. Ooh, that, oh, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I, again, just spitballing here, but if I had to live in LA or where I forget where Apple's San, San Francisco. Silicon Valley. Yeah, San Silicon Jose. Valley. Um, I mean, drive uh, three hours every day to work because of the traffic. I wouldn't get half the amount of work done if I was just at home and never had to venture into that, you know, absolute nightmare of, of just getting to work and back. So I see where the employers are coming from. And I think we have in the last two years, I mean, obviously Zoom is now a verb instead of a company name. Um, and it's just, it just works. It does. You know, just some interesting statistics. There's about 125 million jobs in the United States. Mm-hmm. 60 million of those can be done either full-time remote or hybrid. Wow. Hybrid meaning, you know, yeah. you go on once a week or, or, or whatever the situation warrants. And so that's almost 50% of the workforce uh, can work from home the majority of the time. And when the, when the first shutdown happened after the pandemic, we were saving 60 million hours of day in commuting time. Wow. And then the study that came out of that is 33% of that saved time went back into, into productivity. Mm. In other words, because I'm not commuting, I'm able to work. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have any, uh, you know, you get all the other benefits that come out of it. If I was talking to one of my friends and his friend is a, a he sells uh, electronic equipment, testing equipment for Siemens. And he's made more money in the last two years than he's made in his whole life selling this equipment. But his schedule before that is he was on an airplane every week, a lot of international. And in two years, he hadn't traveled anywhere. And my friend's like, mm. how come he's making so much more, more money? And I said, well, he can have three business calls in a day instead of one call in three days. Mm-hmm. He's spending, I learned that he's spending half his time in his beach house and the other half at his main house. And I said, guess what? He's choosing what he eats. Mm-hmm. He's spending time with the people who are the most important to him. He's probably getting far better rest. Mm-hmm. He's, if he wants an exercise routine, he's got it. And you're, you're asking me why his brain is performing at a higher level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only, it's common sense. Mm-hmm. Not only mm-hmm. that, but the, but the customer, they appreciate it. Do you think they enjoyed entertaining out of town guests at dinner, you know, at eight o'clock at night in their local town when they mm-hmm. could be having dinner with their family? No, that's not what they wanted either. So it really yeah. is a win-win. Well, I think to add to that, so if your salesman's on the road, I mean, is how fast can you get back to a customer question? I mean, it may take him, if he's in a flight, it may take three, four hours, or then, you know, again, working from home and doing anything remote. I mean, obviously there's some aspects that he may need to be to demonstrate something, but 
um, I think it's huge. You know, I, I think tying this back into the audience we serve, which is farmers, um, who typically walk out their door onto their job site, is I would say 95% of us do what we do because we love it. I mean, because again, um, yep, you can make good money farming, but it's not the same kind of money most people are making like in the, in the business world if you're executive. Um, but again, we do it because, you know, we love walking out there and just plucking that, that strawberry from the field or seeing that robin building that nest in the hedgerow. Um, and we're, as you said, we're building that life. Yeah. And, and this is where we get back to quality of life again. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that the pandemic did is we all lost somebody we loved, mm-hmm. somebody we knew. And especially for younger people, uh, and I, when I say younger, I'm going to say 40 and younger, uh, a lot of times hadn't really dealt with mortality face to face. And now either you get sick or somebody you love gets sick and you say, wait a second, uh, nobody gets out alive. I mean, we're all eventually going to pass on. Mm. And so that brings up this whole idea of, God, I want my life to matter. Mm-hmm. And so what is, what matters in life? Well, at the end of the day, it's really about relationships, Mm -hmm. right? And, and it's about, it's about faith. It's about your family. It's about what your calling is, what, you know, what you feel on your heart is what you're you're supposed to do. And money comes pretty far down the list. Um, You know, it's important, (laughs) you know, dad used to say, uh, money is not the most important thing in life, but it is reasonably close to oxygen. You know, it's (laughs) like we got to have it, but there's a balance in that. And that is, is we have to have enough. We have to Mm -hmm. have enough to fulfill the purpose that we have in our life. And that's why I started off with that statement that quality of life equals quality of work. And so if you're, um, if you're deciding to farm because of a quality of life thing, you don't have to wait long. Your standard of living is going to go up because Mm -hmm. when you take care of the foundation of your life, that creates stability in every area, which allows your brain to have the X, the extra capacity to to handle opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if we're always looking for opportunity uh, and really, you know, the world sees what's going on now is just a, um, a bucket load of problems. I like to look at it as a bucket load of opportunities yeah. and, and really what it is, what's an opportunity. That's, that's when we get to serve and solve someone else's problem. And mm-hmm. that's where everybody's got problems today. And in far, the, you know, farming solves problems at the end of the day, that's what it does. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of forget, you know, what we're doing is we're feeding the world. And, you know, if you don't eat, people don't survive. And so that comes back to that, you know, just core basic aspect of that with so many farmers, sometimes they get, you know, really overwhelmed or something. Um, But um, talk us through a little bit about maximizing each and every day, because that was one of the things that Zig talked about is, you know, sometimes small farmers feel like they don't ever get enough done or they're on this constant treadmill. Um, what would you say to them? You know, what was the kind of the, the principles about, you know, making sure that you are living to the fullest? Yeah. One of the things that I talk about in the book, choose to win is what we call the perfect start. Mm. And it's how you start your day. And this is what I say, either, either the day is going to happen to you mm. or you're going to happen to the day. Yeah. And when I was growing up, you know, dad would get up at, 
you know, four, four thirty, five in the morning. And I thought he was insane. And now that's what I do. I, I, I get up, I'm excited to get up, mm. uh, but I'm very intentional in how I start the day. So, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time and, and you can grow into it if you're not doing it yet, but I get up and I have a quiet time. I have, mm-hmm. you know, just some, th- some thoughts, maybe scripture reading something that just kind of gets my thought process in the right direction. Uh, a lot of times I'm working on a gratitude list of things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And that changes your state of mind, right? It, it brings you into the day thinking what's possible instead of the problems that are in front of you. And then you look at your core goals. What are the big projects or goals that you're working on? And you start planning, when am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? You know, how is that going to fit into my day? And then from there, you can identify all the things that need to get done. And so you're, you're putting the, you know, you've heard the saying, you put the big rocks first, but when you, when you uh, have a plan of action of how you're going to attack it, and that is intentional in that first 20 or 30 minutes of the day, then that changes the day versus Mm -hmm. getting up at the last second, running out to take care of something, something that was on plan, unplanned pops up. And now your whole day is in an uproar because you didn't take that uh, initiative. And then I tell people your morning starts the night before. Mm. And this is a big, big challenge. Uh, In fact, the New York times had an article today (laughs) And the article said that digital media is a bigger threat to our children than COVID. Oh, I absolutely agree. (laughs) And they weren't even really talking about um, the stuff on digital media that's horrible. They were just Uh talking about that kids, instead of getting eight plus hours of sleep at night, they're on their smartphone doing what they do and only getting five or six hours of sleep and they're toast the next day. They can't learn. They don't perform at the higher level. Well, us adults do the same thing, Hmm. right? We stay up late, uh, filling our brain with things that make it race, but doesn't make us more productive or effective. We go to bed and our brain takes a while to unwind and we don't get enough sleep. And so how do we have the perfect start in the morning? It's by making sure that we're sound asleep seven hours before we get up. Mm-hmm. And that takes some discipline. So that's how we can maximize the day is just by the start of it, is mm-hmm. planning it out, getting enough sleep, putting our priorities in perspective, and knowing that things always happen. But if we create margin, uh, this is another thing that I tell people is, when you look at your whole day, leave yourself some margin. If, if it only takes 45 minutes to do something, give yourself an hour, take a breather in there, you know, fuel your body, fuel your mind, make a, you know, call somebody you care about, do something like that. And then when, if you've got margin built in throughout your day and something unexpected happens, you've got the time to handle it without getting behind. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, the big rocks principle, because I know that was that's such a key principle. And I know a few people haven't um, haven't heard that one. Give, share that a little bit about that. Yeah, well, in our Ziegler Wheel of Life, uh, we talk about seven areas. Um, and I'll use a little bit of an illustration. There's a I don't know who said this. Maybe you know who said it, but uh, I found this saying and it said that a tree's fruitfulness depends on its rootfulness. 
And so I want you, as you're listening, imagine what's the fruit of your life that you want. When people talk about you behind your back, what do you want them to say about you? Right. You know, were you honest? Did you, did you have integrity? Did you build the right kind of relationships? Were you kind and generous? Uh Uh, There's other kinds of fruits that you might want on that tree. You could have a money sign on there. You might want to have enough money to, to have a vacation, to be debt free, to, you know, send your kids to college, whatever that is. So the fruit depends on the root. So imagine, okay, so what are the roots of the tree? Well, we, there's seven spokes on the wheel of life. And we say there's seven roots in this tree. There's the mental, Mm -hmm. that's our mindset. That's how we approach life. That's our attitude. Then there's the spiritual. This is our faith, our character qualities, the virtues that we live by. There's the physical root, which is our health. And that's composed of the sleep that we get, the nutrition that we eat, the exercise and movement that we have during the day. And then there's family and the families, our relationships, you know, with those in our house and our family and our, and our close friends. And then there's the financial. And that is, you know, how do we handle the money we have? And do we have a budget and do we have savings and do we have an emergency fund? And, you know, do we have some peace of mind regarding that? And then there's the personal route. This is what fuels us. Like what gives me energy is either a walk in the woods or two hours alone on my couch, just reading and thinking <laughs> other yeah. people, other people, what fuels them is coffee with their five best friends, you know, just chatting it up. Right. Yeah. We're all wired different. So are you taking time to create energy for you in your life? And then the seventh route is your career. It's your work. It's what you do. And so what are the big rocks? The big rocks are those seven roots, mm-hmm. those seven areas of life. And then the intentionality is the habits that we create in each one of those areas. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. when we have habits that build us mentally, spiritually, physically in our family, a habit is an action and action is what changes results. So we can't just think about it. We have to do something. So those are the seven big rocks. And when we create habits that, that nurture those roots, those seven areas, then the fruit of our life is apparent on the tree. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is to put those big rocks and schedule those in first, or we end up slipping through life and we realize we never really, you know, connected with our, our kids, or we never really did the, you know, built that, uh, took that vacation you wanted with your wife. Exactly. And, you know, some of them are everyday things Mm. like, like the first three, I think you work on every day, mental, spiritual, and physical, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, because if you're not, you're losing ground, right? You're you're never static. Yeah. And then, and then some of them like financial, you you might want to check in with that uh, once a week or every two weeks. Hey, how are we doing? Are we on schedule? Mm -hmm. You You might have a budget day or something like that, uh, or an hour with your spouse, your partner on the budget, something like that. And of course, family, uh, if you don't, if you're not intentional about that, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You're just not, I mean, it's easy to slip through. I mean, Sundays are day off for us. We're closed on Sunday and um, it's family day, but even though it's family day, if I'm not really intentional about like doing something specific, the day just slips right by. And um, yeah, then it's just, time to tuck them in the bed and you realize, Oh my gosh, I really didn't 
spend that intentional time with them. And, uh, you know, and now I've, and it's, it was one thing when they're like two years old, you again, that it's not as important to spend again, probably is, but once you start getting into those ages where, you know, they are a lot more cognitive and, and like, I have a five, a seven-year-old and uh, baby Kate's only less than a year, but the five and the seven-year-old, that's a prime time that I need to be investing every single day into their lives. Yeah. I'll just yeah. give a, a, you know, an example uh, that dad learned growing up when, when, when dad was five, his, his father died. Mm. So he was the 10th of 12 kids. Um, and his father took care of a lot of farms in Mississippi. That mm -hmm. was his job. He was like a superintendent of farms. And at his house, they had a big garden and the garden is what their families survived on. Uh, my grandmother would buy milk cows that were producing less than a, a gallon and, and she would nurture them and love them and get them up to two or three gallons and then sell them and do it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And back then, and I guess now it's the same, you know, when he was, when he was five years old, he was hoeing the garden. He was, you know, he was selling peanuts on the corner when he was six. Yeah. He was doing all these things, but his mom or one of his brothers was with him. Yeah. Right. And so family time and work time, there wasn't really any separation. It was always together. Yeah. And so there's a huge built in advantage. Well, later in life, when dad became a, a salesperson and a speaker, he made it a intentional uh, decision, a choice, a habit to bring me and my sisters with him when he would go to work. Mm. So he could, so we could see how he worked. Mm -hmm. So would you be sitting on the front row when he was giving a, a speech? Many times. Wow. I would go to events. Yeah. Did uh, you get tired of the same thing over and over again? <laughs> well, what's funny is, you know, it was really cool uh, in, in a lot of cases. And, and, but because he was my dad and I was like, well, this is what he does. Uh, I was, it had to be a little bit older. I, I guess I was in my mid-teens before mm -hmm. I started watching the audience and their response. Oh, that's so much fun. And then uh, when I got started working in the company, I would go and I would go into the green room or I would, mm -hmm. I would hang out with the executives of the company that had them speak. And I'd meet all these really successful, famous people uh, who were giving dad all this credit for, to me, it was just common sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, the saying common sense is a common practice. No, that's true. And, and so, yeah. And so that's how I learned about our business is going with him and watching him do it and then mm -hmm. starting to do it on my own. And then when I saw the difference it made in our customers, that's when I fell in love with it. Because you saw that it was changing lives and that got you excited. Yes. I can tell you when it happened. Um, this was, I'd been there a few years. We were at a big Amway convention, <laughs> thousands of people there. And dad was the surprise guest. And so we went there and it was like a basketball. I think their auditorium sat like 30,000 people, you know, and they had all the seats on the floor and they had this arena. Wow. And so at, at, at five o'clock, they kicked everybody out for dinner for two hours. And then we went in and we set our tables up with all the product, all the books. Back then it was cassette tapes, uh, VHS tapes. And we had like 20 tables with all of his product on it. And then we had to put tablecloths over the products 
so that people, when they walked in, they wouldn't know that Zig Ziglar was there. And so they opened the doors at seven and this mad rush of humanity runs in because they're trying to get front row seats. And the first guy looks over at our table and I realized that one of the tablecloths hadn't been put down and he looks at me and he says, is Zig Ziglar going to be here tonight? And I'm like, That's awesome. I give him the sh sign <laughs> and I put the tablecloth down and he comes over and he goes, is he going to sign autographs? And I said, yes. And he says, where's the line? I said, well, he speaks at midnight, which will probably be 1 a.m. That's six hours from now. Wow. It's going to be over here, but why don't you go sit down and then about midnight, come up here and get in the line because nobody knows he's here. And this guy says, no, I'll stand in line now. So this guy gets in line that nobody knows exists at seven o'clock. And wow. then after two hours, I go over to him and I go, what's your story? And then he says this. I realized he was, he said, I'm from Central America. I came to the United States for opportunity. I moved in with my brother in Chicago. And after I'd been here a month, I told my brother, I want to be successful here. I need to learn English. And my brother gave me the book, See You at the Top. And my brother said to me, translate this book from Spanish, from English to Spanish, and then back from Spanish to English. And when you do, you'll learn English and it will change your life. And this wow. guy tells me that. And then he starts crying. Mm. And he says, when I came here, I was an alcoholic and my wife was about to leave me. Because of the message in this book, I quit drinking mm. and I was able to repair my marriage. And now I'm living the American dream. <laughs> wow. Like, and so... And so that's like the core message. I mean, no matter what business you have, if you're not right as a person, uh -huh. your business is not going to do as well as it could. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Wow. That's a powerful story. Wow. Midnight seven. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, he stood there seven hours and for a line that didn't exist. Wow. Wow. Nelson carrot, Satakoi melon, Buffalo tomatoes, Megatron leek. What do all these varieties have in common? Well, they're all dinosaurs or varieties that were dropped by the trade for one reason or another. So what do smart growers do? Well, if they can, they buy a bunch of seed before it goes out of stock and freeze it while they scramble to find new varieties that are going to work better. But the problem is that eventually seed vitality goes down and the seed is no longer good. Is there anything you can do to revive the seeds? Well, introducing Ultra, an organic seed treatment, or as I like to say, a seed defibrillator. To back up a bit, we were able to get 20 kernels of what we now call Gill's Select, a rare Indian corn variety from Gill's Sweet Corn Farm in the Hudson Valley. We grew it out, distributed it to a number of farmers, and then life happened. About a decade later, I found the seed at the bottom of our freezer, and we took most of the seeds and tried to germinate them in a greenhouse. Only a few came up. Not enough to have good genetic diversity. Last year, with only a few handfuls left and a Hail Mary attempt, I soaked them with Ultra for 24 hours, then struck them into some trays and popped them into our germ chamber. 72 hours later, we started seeing shoots, and this year, even with an eight-week drought, we had a wonderful yield of corn. We sold some and kept back most of it for future seed stock. I'm confident that we wouldn't have been able to continue this lost variety without Ultra. Here's the best news yet. AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all thriving farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. 
Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Go to smallfarm.solutions for more information. You're also a published author. You mentioned Choose the Win. What's that book about? So Choose the Win, the, the subtitle says, you can transform your life one simple choice at a time. Mm-hmm. And when I was speaking in Australia, um, the way the, the kind of the anchor of the book, this guy in the room raises his hand at the first break and he says, Tom, what's the fastest way to success? And I said, to replace a bad habit with a good habit, right? That's mm-hmm. you replace bad habits. Mm-hmm. We go to break, we come back out. Steve McKnight's my friend. He's, he's have, having me there. This is his group, 150 business owners. And he, he said, uh, he comes back after lunch and he, and he introduces me and he's, and Steve says, Hey, did you get what Tom said before the break? The fastest way to success is replace bad habits with good habits. <laughs> and I look around because that sounded really smart. So I, I didn't know I'd said that. So I wrote yeah. it down and then that night I searched it on, on social media nobody had said it. So I claimed it and that became the anchor of the book. And so, mm-hmm. When you look at the seven areas of life, which we already talked about, how do you create success in each of those areas? It's really simple. You look at a bad habit in that area, in one of those areas that's holding you back, and you replace that bad habit with a good habit mm. that allows you to grow. And the smaller, the better. So don't, you know, don't think about, gosh, I got to change everything in my life. Just think of one little bitty bad habit. I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. Uh, I wasn't sleeping very good. I was waking up with nightmares and I'm like, what am I doing? And so I started thinking about it. Well, I was falling asleep to the news every night. (laughs) That might not be too helpful. (laughs) That's like, duh. (laughs) I mean, I know better. I was raised on this stuff and I was doing that. (laughs) And so now I'm very intentional about what I listen to or read right before I go to bed. Right. It's not the news. I can tell you that. Yeah. And so that's how it's, it's something good, it's positive or it's neutral, right? So, and so that's how, an example of how you can do a little bad habit, get rid of it and replace it with a little good habit. And it has a significant impact on your life. And you do that over and over again in every area of your life. And you're a whole new person at the end of the year. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I, I've struggled with here is, you know, we're, we're building a new farm and in startup, there's always things that go wrong. And so I have two choices, you know, um, one choice is to go ahead and make, oh my gosh, why does this thing keep breaking or something like that? But I, you know, I've started to really try to intentionally focus on flipping that of, hey, I have this piece of equipment that's going to save X number of hours to do this for me. And I'm glad I have that um, because it's just that little switch that makes and again, I, I deal with a team. So when you're having a bad attitude yourself, you tend to just pass that on to your coworkers and then they're not having a bad day. They're not having a good day because you're now you know, frustrated. So just those, one of those things is that's one of the things I've been focusing on. Um, yeah, it's those little habits. Yeah, and mindset is the, the key. In mm-hmm. fact, in the sequence, I say we, you know, we start the book and choose to win with mental and then spiritual and then physical. And it's very intentional because first we have to think it. Mm-hmm. So when I think of, okay, what's the most important to my long-term success, I would tell you it's my spiritual qualities, mm. but I didn't put spiritual first. I put mental first 
because I have to choose to put the spiritual content in, right? I have to uh-huh. go seek it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then a lot of people start with physical, which is fantastic. But the problem is, is people join the gym in January and they quit in February. And it's because their thinking hasn't changed yet. And so that's why there's even a sequence to this. And so what you just said about flipping it uh, right now, the, you know, all the headlines is about the great resignation. Uh, there's 1.8 jobs for, for every person looking for a job. Four and a half million people quit their jobs in March, the record, right? Well, so if you're a business owner and hiring and developing and keeping people is an issue, you've got two choices. You can either go, oh, no, this is terrible. How am I ever going to do it? Or you can say, this is our competitive advantage. We're the best in our community. We're the best in this area. We're the best in the state. We're the best in the world at understanding how to motivate, inspire, keep people so they're working for a purpose that fills their bucket while they're ex- you know, excited about extremely high performance, achieving their own goals and dreams in the process. That's why we win. Now I can look at disruption in a tight labor market as my advantage because everybody's dealing with it. And everybody's yeah. got to work somewhere. Why not work for you? Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, absolutely. Now your other book, so you've got Choose the Win. The other one is one that came out actually in December. Um, you know, I think you wrote it during the pandemic. It's 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. And, you know, share, you don't have to share all 10, but maybe share like one or two virtues that, you know, what caused you to write this book? Yeah, so I started studying um, with the pandemic. What were the changes in business? Because it's been huge. Um how have people's priorities and values changed? Because that's been huge. And then if I'm going to lead, right, if I own my own business, if, I'm, if I have employees, right, if I have people on my team, how does my leadership need to change in this new world? And some of it is, uh, in a lot of businesses, it's hybrid or remote work. And the way you lead over a camera is different than face-to-face. But here's the good news. What I came up with was the idea of coach leadership. If you are a coach leader, you're a more effective leader than a traditional leader. And it doesn't matter the environment. It doesn't matter if you're with your team face-to-face every day or if you're with your team on a camera every day. It doesn't matter. So there is no downside to it. And so the book has three main components to it. The mindset of a leader And that is, how do I think about it? How do I create an atmosphere that people love coming to work, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? The second is the 10 virtues. This is the bulk of the book. And here's the reality is everybody says, love your people, but nobody tells you how. If you have love for your people, but they can't see it in your actions, it doesn't matter, (laughs) right? And so the 10 virtues are the 10, the 10 virtues of how you can walk out your love where people know, wow. And then the third part of the book is called the coach leader coaching conversation. That's the intentional conversation that you have each week with each person on your team. And it's a a coaching approach. And in that approach, you, you help the person you're, you're leading identify where they want to go. And then you help them create a plan. They create it on, on their own. Now they've got ownership of it. And then you ask them, is it okay if I hold you accountable to your plan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. 
And, and that's a far different relationship than telling somebody what to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Telling them like, uh, well, do we, we've, we've scored you on this chart and you're short in these things and go work on those. Um, because I think when you give people ownership, they obviously have more, more motivation to do it and can buy in so much easier. Yep. There's an NBA basketball coach named Doc Rivers and very, very successful. He's regarded as one of the best communicators of all the coaches in the league. And they asked him, they said, um, how, how do you lead people who make more money than you? And he said, oh, I just talked to him. <laughs> and they said, well, what do you say? And he said this, he said, what are your goals for the season? Mm. And so each player has a contract that they negotiated with an agent in the team, right? And the contract will reflect their position. So it might say they get a bonus for rebounds per game or minutes per game or points per game or assists per game. Maybe if they make the all-star team, maybe if they make the playoffs, they get bonuses. And so what Doc Rivers does is he lets them tell him what their goals are. And then he smiles at him and says, that's fantastic. Is it okay if I'll hold you accountable to your goals? And so in a employee relationship, let's just talk about on the farm, somebody comes in and you're excited about them. They're excited. You could ask them a question. Hey, you know, a year from now, do you want to be making more money, the same money or less money working here? <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully they're going to say, I want to make more money, right? You go, fantastic. You know what? I want to pay you more money. The only way I can pay you more money is that your contribution to what we do results in growth and profit. Does that sound fair? Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds great. Well, fantastic. Well, how can, how can you develop in yourself to be more capable tomorrow than you are today so we can make more growth and profit? And depending on their experience, they might have no idea, no clue, or they might have some really good ideas. But you're asking the question either way. And then you say, well, fantastic. Why don't we figure out some things that you can do to develop yourself to become more valuable that you can learn around attitude, effort, and skill that when you do those things, I'll pay you more money. How does that sound? And then you ask them, so how can you display an attitude that would make you more money here? And you just coach them through that. And then when they start displaying that and they start getting the results to come with it, then you pay them more money. And now you ask the final question, is it, this is a great plan that we've created together. In fact, it's your plan. Is it okay if I hold you accountable to this? And because they created it, all they can say is yes. Yeah, that's, that's great. One of the things we do, actually, what my coaches helped me work on is for each of our new hires, we come up with 30, 60, 90. And it's basically a chart of the different areas of their business and what they need to focus on. Um, but I really like what you said there about getting them to kind of go over that with you. I mean, we've, we've really had it as more like a, Hey, this is where we want you to focus. But I think if we could put also in there of like, Hey, are there any specific areas that you'd love to own or love to work on or love to kind of go? Cause that actually gives them that more ownership aspect instead of us just saying, here's the job description and this is what you've got to do. Yep. I'll give you uh, a great example of how that works. We have a performance formula, and it basically says this, that attitude times effort times skill equals performance. 
Yeah. So the better the attitude, the more effort somebody has, the more activities they do and their higher level of skill, the more their performance is going to be. And so the first one is attitude. And if the attitude's negative, so if it's negative attitude times effort times skill, the outcome of that equation is negative. Yeah. You got to send negative attitude people home because yeah, it's, it's a net loss. So, so you ask the person, let's just say uh, the person is a customer facing person and you say, uh, well, what kind of attitudes can you demonstrate that would help you be more effective in your job role? Well, if they're an extrovert, right they're, they love people, they talk a lot. They might say, oh, well, gosh, you know, I'm so energetic. I'm so happy to see them, but I'm probably not asking as many questions as I should. So I'm going to take time to slow down to ask more questions with the right attitude, of course, right? An introvert, they might say in regards to that question, well, I need to smile more. <laughs> I need yeah. to look them in the eye, right? And so because you asked the question, you get two different responses from two good people who understand that their attitude in a certain area could be better. And then you ask the same question around effort. You know, what kind of effort could you do? What kind of skill could you increase that would allow you to be more effective? And when somebody takes the time to reflect on how they can develop themselves, and then they look at you and say, how do I do that? And you as the leader say, I'll help you, you know, read this book. Let's role play this. Let's walk through this scenario. Let me go over this section with you again. Let's, let's, you know, let's have a conversation about it. Uh, Or, Hey, look, there's a customer over there. I'll talk to them and follow my lead. You know, let me show you how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, this is the scripts we use, you know, use one of these three when you're talking with a customer, depending on what you're they're trying to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And because at the end of the day, we want, we want Navy SEALs working for us. Mm -hmm. In other words, They're completely autonomous. They've been trained and developed so well, they can complete the mission without your help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you drop them in and you don't hear from them for four days and they show up, you know, with the mission taken care of. Right. And you say, you basically tell them, here's the mission, go get her done. How can I help? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But people forget a SEAL had more training and development from qualified leaders than anybody in history. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. how you become a SEAL. And, yeah. in, and in, the, in the SEALs, it's not about does somebody have the talent or the ability to do something. Everybody who shows up at that camp has mm-hmm. that ingredient. Yeah. What they're looking for is when they fail, will they get back up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That resilience, that grit. And that's what we need on our people is, we want to create an environment, an atmosphere where our people feel okay about failing, about trying something new and it doesn't work, but we need that resilience and that tenacity and that grit and that confidence in them to say, hey, I need some help over here. I just blew this, but I learned a lot, <laughs> yeah. right? And if you learn something, you haven't really failed, have you? You've, you've learned and that's powerful. Mm, absolutely. <clears throat> You talk a lot about legacy, and that's certainly something that many multi-generation farmers can understand. What are some of your key thoughts on legacy that would resonate with the farming world? Yeah, there's a couple of quotes. Um, Mark Batterson said this. He said that uh, an inheritance is what you leave to someone 
a legacy is what you leave in someone. Mm. Mm. And, and unfortunately we see way too many inheritances. Yep. Um, I was working with a friend and he was selling uh, very, very uh, big investments in, in oil. And one of his clients owned outright 20 oil wells. And he was trying to figure out how to set up a trust fund that he could put this, these assets into that he could leave to his kids in a way that they wouldn't snort up all of the mm. money right away. <laughs> that's, that's a tragedy. So he was worried. Gotcha. Oh my gosh. So he basically, that was when he came to him and said, my kids are literally going to blow all of this on drugs. How do I figure out? So they don't do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know, every business is the same way we, we deal with, you know, we have so many, we do business consulting and we work Mm -hmm. with small businesses and there's, you know, legacy planning the next, usually the person who created the business versus the next generation, they have totally different skill sets, personalities. Uh, they have, and, and, and one of them's not right. And one of them's not wrong, right? They're just different. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't equip the next generation with the virtues of how to make good decisions, right? The foundation they're on, and then you don't equip them to maximize their own strengths. Because if I was out there trying to speak in front of 30,000 people and connect one-to-one like dad did, that's, that's not my strength. Mm. My strength is creating material and content that I can equip hundreds of other people with so they can go out and teach other people, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a different thing. Dad told me before he, he passed away, he said, you'll never know true freedom until I'm gone. Hmm. And I was, didn't know what he meant. But then when he passed away, I realized that what he was doing is he was setting me free. He was saying, look, you can never fill my shoes in the gifts and talents that I have. You're going to have to maximize your own gifts and talents, hmm. right? And so uh, in a business, you might have the founder is a technological genius and they have all these inventions and they're creative, but the next generation, their talent sales and marketing, Uh uh right? That's great. You hire one of the, one of the core things of great leaders is they know their blind spot and they bring people in around them who are strong in their blind spots. Uh And so that's how we create legacy in a business is we equip, we teach them the systems, the habits, the character, the integrity, the wisdom, so they can make good choices at the same time, uh, giving them the confidence to really zero in on what their talent is, what their gift is. And it's going to be different than the Mm. leader that they, that they're replacing. You can't replace somebody. Wow. That is really good. I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's a lot of, a lot of owners, entrepreneurs, they worry about that is they're like, well, you know, no one, no one has my talents and skills, but if they were what you just said there, if they were to, and still being, I'm not going to say a good person because 
I guess good is subjective, but I would say instill the a good character, good work ethic, good um, people skills, then and good business sense because you can teach very good. You can teach business sense. Then that person, the next generation, can build around them that support team that may make up for that founder's as, uh, absence. Absolutely. I'll give you kind of a, this is a target. So think of an mm -hmm. archery target. Mm -hmm. So the archery target represents your business, right? Your farm. Mm -hmm. And in the center of the target, that's you. Okay. So you're the owner. Yep. And you've got to be right. So those seven areas of life, they got to be strong in your own life. If you are not taking care of your physical health, if your mindset and, and mental approach is wrong, if you have terrible family relationships and skills, you're going to struggle. It doesn't matter, you know, what kind of land you inherited, you're going to have a hard time. Mm, okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Now the second ring of this, of this target is systems. And so what you've got to do as you grow is you've got to put, uh, put systems in your business in a traditional business. It's, it's sales or it's marketing which is how we attract customers, sales, which is how we convert them, operations, which is, you know, doing the work, mm -hmm. administration, which is measuring and managing the money, and then there's leadership. And so if I want to leave a legacy, I should have systems in place with processes and policies that this is how I do this. This is how I do this. This is how I do this. Mm. And then the outer ring is people. And so as I hire people, to work in my business, I've got to develop them into first a top performing team member and then a, then a coach leader, right? But the trick is in a small business is, you know, we develop a person and then they quit. <laughs> yes, yes. And so now we've got a new one we've got to develop or we get all the systems just right and something changes. Yeah. Right? And so we've got to change the system. So that's the dance, but look at the circles. The center circle is you as the owner. Mm -hmm. And then the next circle is systems. And the third circle is people, but the systems and people uh, ring keep going back and forth. Mm -hmm. But if you don't take those two things into consideration, I got to develop the right kind of people and I've got to have the right systems. It's going to be chaos. It's, and it's always going to be in your head and you mm -hmm. can't, pass on a business that's in your head and depends on you actually doing the work. Oh, absolutely. That is so key. Now uh, we're going to wrap up here, but before we go, tell you're doing a really cool event this summer at Polyface Farms with Joel Salton. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's really awesome to be invited out there. Uh, it's going to be in uh, first part of August and uh, Joel, I, I read his book. Uh, I really love his approach. Mm -hmm. uh, to this. And so at Ziegler, what we've done is, you know, we're in a different world. We're in personal development and success and leadership and all about developing the person. And so we're going to be able to, with oh gosh, how long has Joel been doing what he's doing his whole life? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, I think he's been farming. I, gosh, when I was there in 2012, I think he passed the 30, I believe it was the 30 year mark. Yeah. Um, but now, so now it would be, gosh, that was 2012. So this is 40 years for him. I think this is 40 years for him. Wow. 
Yeah. So I'm 57. I, I tell people I've been doing what, what we do for 57 years, my whole life. And so literally, you know, you combine the legacy of Ziegler and what Joel's done, you've got nearly a hundred years of expertise in farming and people development. Mm-hmm. And so now with all the disruption that's going on, right. Cause things have changed so much in the last yeah. couple of years, what we're doing is we're taking, you know, this legacy from both sides of what we know works and specifically applying it to what's happening today. Right. And so if you're trying to build a business, if you're trying to create a higher quality of life, if you're wanting to leave a legacy, if you're wanting to be more productive in your efforts so that your farm is profitable, whatever that is, all of this makes sense because in order to have sustainability and success over the long haul, you need to look at the foundation stones that'll get you there. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Yes, absolutely. And how long is that? That is it a two day? It's two days. Okay. Yeah, so two days. Stall. And they've actually put together, I've seen the pictures of beautiful new pavilion they're putting together for all of this. Um, so super excited to see how that comes out. But um, it's going to be really one of a kind. And uh, again, at being at Polyphase for a conference, the food is going to be out of this world. Um, Joel is incredibly charismatic. And they have, he looks at things just so differently than other people. So I know that people are going to get a really good um, thing. And then adding your expertise from the business and the coaching and all of that and working with you know so many businesses across the nation and around the world, I think it's just really going to be a really interesting one-of-a-kind event. Um, so yeah, super excited when I heard about it. Unfortunately, we won't be able to make it, but um, yeah, wishing you the best as you go. And I know it's going to be fabulous. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, when you Gosh, when you just look at the challenges of life um, and the need that's out there, uh, I think Joel has a kind of a same approach to the world that we do. And that is, gosh, it doesn't really matter if it's always been done a certain way. What matters is how can we have the greatest impact? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where uh, fulfillment and success really come. When you, when you have enough humility to say, you know what, the way I was doing it, that's just not the best way to do it anymore. Yeah. And millions of people are figuring that out right now. That's why you've got this great resignation going on. Mm -hmm. That's why so many people are trying something different. Well, if you're going to try something different, why not build it on a foundation that stood the test of time? And that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're right, right there. It's those who can adapt are the ones who, especially in this time, I mean, it changes so fast. I mean, steel prices in one year went up 90%. Who would have thought? Um, I mean, we're seeing, you know, yeah, we're seeing fertilizer just not being available. Um, you know, so if you can, if you're the person who can like pivot to figuring out a different source, um, then you're going to be the one that's going to succeed. That's right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're right. It's being able to take that next step, move forward and pivot into what works for you and your farm. I, I think one other thing that I, before we go is that people, you talk a lot about people and, and developing people and, you know, the farms that last, the farms that are really successful, the ones that have figured people out. Um, and, and I guess I would say, I never would, I never would say I would ever figure people out, but I guess figure people out more, <laughs> um, and get those systems and processes in place because unfortunately there's only one of us. And unfortunately there's only so much you can do personally. And so being able to add to your team and it's truly a team, 
um, and build out that, uh, you know, that, that, that people that are going to move your business forward is the most important thing that you can do on your farm. And right now we're in the thick of it with our business where we've got some great people. We've got some people who maybe need to be moved off the bus at some point, but we're actively every single day, you know, building that um, group of people, that team of people that are moving the business forward. And right uh, on. Uh, one of the people who's presenting with us, uh, Grant, yes, uh, is yep. just, we were talking about it. He has a farm. Um, and when the pandemic hit and the lockdowns happened, because he's very people focused and because he teaches relationship building skills, he had already built a network of other small farmers and people who were tied into that network. Mm-hmm. And so when the supply chain and all these issues started happening around meat packing and things like that, he had built in resources. And one of the things that we know is that when the disruption comes and it always does, uh, going lone wolf and being isolated mm. is never a winning plan. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just not going to happen. And so when we talk about relationships and people development, we look at it holistically. You know, we've got to be the right kind of person. We've got to develop the right relationships on our team and then in our community as well. And when we have that, we're pretty solid. And we reach out and we help other people. Uh, they even had storms that came through their area mm-hmm. uh, and they were able to network and help each other out when, you know, when the trees got down and stuff like that. I think he lost power for a number of days. Yeah, we've had uh, Grant on the, the podcast and they're really building, again, where they're located in the U.S. is not an easy place to farm, Louisiana, um, especially, you know, New Orleans is it's a tough place. It's been hit with a lot in the last couple of decades, but um Seeing what he's doing down there is really incredible. And uh, it was a pleasure to have him on. But yeah, I'm super excited for you guys and uh, that conference. I know people get a lot out of it. And um, I really appreciate you, Tom, for taking the time to come on. I know we're not a one of those big fancy podcasts. Um, we only have a few dozen listeners out there. <laughs> but uh, I do appreciate you coming on and sharing your life story and uh, just the, the legacy that your father left. I can, you know, sitting here right now, I can hear your dad's voice in my ears because of all the uh, those tapes he listened to. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, he did and that I've listened to when I was growing up, you know, just, you know, playing them again and again. Um, the stories and just the, the kind of life principles. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Definitely impacted me. I'm looking forward to your, your, I haven't read your new book. I'm really interested in looking at that one. And, um, because we do live in very disruptive times and being able to pivot is so important. So I appreciate you coming on today. Awesome. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.